0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Let me begin by saying happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And as we obviously expressed a little bit on Wednesday's show, just how grateful we are, you know, getting a chance to be off yesterday, enjoying some great food and a good time with family and, It's just a wonderful reflection on how lucky and blessed we feel to be able to do what it is we do on a daily basis, and we could not do that without you. So thank you so much for showing up here every day, including the day after a holiday, to be a part of this show with us. It truly, truly means a lot to me, and I wanted to make sure we begin today by acknowledging on this time of gratitude, this season of being thankful, just how much around here we feel like we have to be thankful for and of course uh, all of you top of mind for me on all of that and as a I guess a response to our gratitude here we're going to see if we can give you a good show here today I want to begin this way I think most of us would acknowledge that the Georgia Georgia Tech rivalry has been in a little bit of a weird place where it's the end-state rival for a lot of people of a certain age it's kind of meant a lot for younger fans in a time of change around college football there's some discussion some debate even about where this rivalry fits into the evolving landscape of the sport overall and obviously some of that kind of stuff is going to be determined over the course of future years and a lot of that sort of feels like a better off-season conversation than an in-season conversation because for Georgia fans the thing that matters most to them I think if I'm reading the temperature correctly here is not just boy I hate tech and I'm going to go out there and throttle Georgia Tech it's boy, I love having a 28-game winning streak, and I want to make sure there's not an imbalance of motivation here in terms of what Georgia thinks it has on the line compared to what an upstart program like Georgia Tech perhaps thinks it has on the line with the chance to ruin a dream season and a perfect record and all that kind of stuff. Georgia fans, I don't know that they are as... Actively, aggressively in pursuit of a win against Georgia Tech, as much as they are just actively, aggressively in pursuit of a win against, as Kirby Smart has once said, trying to beat everybody. That's what Georgia wants to do. And Tech just happens to be the next team on the schedule ahead of the SEC championship the following Saturday. So, in a roundabout way, the question for Georgia at this stage of the season, given the fact that it's sort of in that holding pattern before it starts playing what will honestly feel like elimination games from December on throughout the rest of the season. The question is, you know, what is Georgia's overall level of motivation for this game on Saturday? And that question gives me a chance to lay out what I believe is a little bit of a theory. And a lot of times I have a lot of crackpot theories. I don't, don't deny that necessarily. However, I don't believe that all my crackpot theories are necessarily wrong. And this is one of my sort of crackpot theories that I think I'm probably right about. I'm going to try to see if I can lay it out and make the case for you here a little bit. So for Georgia fans who have the question of, well, how motivated is Georgia for this game really? And is Georgia as ready for Tech as you would perceive that Tech might be ready for Georgia? Georgia, the overwhelmingly more talented team, Tech, the team who perhaps feels slight in its rivalry game and the so-called throw the records out the window mindset and all that kind of stuff. Is Georgia susceptible to a look ahead spot or susceptible to being caught up in the emotion of a rivalry game there on Saturday? And my theory here for this particular game is no, I don't believe that's true because I have a sneaking suspicion. I'm going to try to see if I can explain to you why I have a sneaking suspicion that Kirby Smart, who's good at just about everything behind the scenes, is apparently really, really good at conjuring the right level of motivation for his Georgia team ahead of this game against Georgia Tech on Saturday. And I believe the last few years give us a little bit of proof of that, that how Georgia talks about things behind the scenes obviously matters. And for a team that has to kind of find a new motivation to get up for week after week after week, having won the last 28 uh, consecutive games in which it's played, finding that new fresh energy, that new fresh motiva- motivation each and every week, it just obviously matters. And so it seems like from time to time, Georgia likes to go back to the past as a way of making these younger players who perhaps weren't always alive or interested in college football for some of these moments making them aware of what the stakes are when perhaps they don't quite see the stakes necessarily the same way it's not as obvious Uh, of a big game so you have to try to find a way behind the scenes to make it a big game and I believe this is something that Georgia has been very very good at in fact this week Malachi Starks the terrific Georgia player and also one of Georgia's best overall spokesmen he kind of talked about that The, the the kind of history lesson that he receives and the other players receive to make sure they understand just how big this game is on Saturday this is what Malachi Starks said about that earlier this week.
1: I knew it was a big thing. Uh, I know about when they beat us and they ate the hedges or whatever. Um, and then Coach Mark gave us a history lesson uh, earlier this week. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to speak on that or not, so I won't. But um, Nothing bad, but just a history lesson about um, Georgia and Georgia Tech and how long it goes and uh, stuff like that. So I've learned a lot, and just to be able to take in that information, it just kind of makes the game seem a little more.
0: I want to make two points about what Malachi Stark says right there. First of all, whatever it was that Smart told the team in this so-called history lesson was apparently impactful enough and meaningful enough that Malachi Stark's at least briefly considered maybe this is supposed to just stay in the locker room maybe this is supposed to be just sort of be for us, that this kind of went beyond just the regular message from coach to player about being ready for the game. Apparently this was emotional enough and authentic and genuine enough that perhaps Malachi Starks was thinking maybe – this is one of those things that's just sort of just between us here ever, ever have a conversation with friends like this where the friend is telling you something that's so real you obviously know it's meant only for your ears and it's not really meant for anybody else's it's almost like Malachi Starks was hearing something so raw and real from Kirby smart about this game that his initial reaction was I'm not even sure I should be telling you about this right now because of how authentic and genuine this moment was I find that to be pretty interesting but The response to this from some people might be, oh, well, B.A., this is what players always say. Of course, players say they want to be motivated. And of course, the week of the game, you would talk about Georgia and Georgia Tech and making it a big deal. Uh, Of course, that's what you would do. That's what any team would do in this particular situation. And you're probably right about that. But here's where my kind of crackpot theory kind of comes in about Georgia for Georgia Tech. I think we have a good bit of evidence that this is not a one-week conversation for Georgia. And for those that assume, and around here we sell the idea of a good Georgia fan being a Gator hater first and foremost. Georgia's rivalry with Auburn's the Deep South's oldest, and on and on you can go. For all the talk we do about Georgia's other rivals, I think we have a good bit of evidence that Georgia actually spends a lot of time, not just the week of the game, but time throughout the year, talking about Georgia Tech and making sure this Georgia team is ready for Georgia Tech when it's played. Because let's go back in time here, back in September. Do you remember this? It seemed a little bit weird at the time, but it's a lot more relevant now when Jamond Dumas Johnson, who's also a very effective spokesman for Georgia, uh, a very important defensive player when healthy, going into the game against Auburn, he was asked by a reporter about Georgia's pecking order of rivals. And Jamon Dumas Johnson said something then that it hasn't really been brought up this week, but it certainly piqued my interest at the time of just how much JDJ believed Kirby Smart valued the Tech rivalry even in a week in which Georgia was getting ready for Auburn, perhaps echoing what Malachi Starks just said. This is Jamon Dumas Johnson from back in September.
1: So many great rivalries with this program. I see Tech in Florida, um,
0: Tennessee. Well, curious where you put the uh, Auburn rivalry. I
1: put. Auburn probably at, I don't know, this is my second year here. I mean, third year here, so I know for sure Coach be mad if I don't put Georgia Tech first, so Georgia Tech definitely first. Um, I think Auburn, Auburn probably second. Yeah, Georgia Tech had to be first.
0: So that's a player in the program in September, many months ahead of Georgia playing Georgia Tech sharing that his perspective of Kirby Smart is, is that Smart will be mad at me if I don't acknowledge Tech as this program's biggest rival. Now, whether that's true or not, the fact that JDJ believes that's true about Kirby Smart means that Kirby Smart must have been very effective over the course of these last couple of years that Jamon Dumas Johnson's kind of come down from the Beltway area to play here at Georgia. That means that Kirby Smart must have been pretty effective at communicating with these players and demonstrating to these players about how important this tech game is played in the week in which it is played malachi starks told you that but jamon dumas johnson was saying that as far back as september apparently based on previous year's conversations of kirby smart makes this rivalry game against georgia tech a very big deal so therefore we know how much it means to him and in that particular discussion jamon dumas johnson went into some more detail about why smart views the tech rivalry is such a big deal this is what jdj said back in september about the game that's about to be played
1: i knew in the 90s it was kind of back and forth but um lately even you know all georgia winning the rivalry so far um that's all i know pretty much about the rivalry um i just know uh when coach mark first came here we lost and kind of during his era, he, he most likely lost to him.
0: So that's another kind of interesting thing here is that from Jamon Dumas Johnson's perspective, that Smart views the Tech rivalry as a big deal because he lost to Georgia Tech as a player. And It's important to note here that it's not just current players, guys like Jamon Dumas Johnson and Malachi Starks who are talking this way, that we get the history lesson. We're reminded of how big of a game this has been over the years and how big of a game this is to Kirby Smart personally. It's not just current players who've been hearing that message. Previous year's players have been talking about that there as well. A long time ago in the annals of Dog Nation history, and by Dog Nation I mean our little website here, we used to do our post-game show with Cameron you Remember him? He was a great punter at Georgia, uh, a guy who uh, was a part of our show the following year. He was you know, a good guest, good co-host, and always a lot of fun to have around. And on one of the post-game shows we did, this would have been in 2018, on one of the post-game shows we did, Cameron Nislik perhaps reflecting on what Jamon Dumas-Johnson and Malachi Starks just said also as a kind of ex-player a little bit more candid a little bit more removed from the program only one year removed at the time as an ex-player went in even more detail about specifically exactly how kirby smart feels about georgia tech this is what a former georgia player said about this rivalry going back 2018 this is cameron nizelik
1: just a little peek behind the curtain kirby smart hates georgia tech throughout the season they actually once a week or so they do a little period for georgia tech even though we're not playing
0: them, they focus a little bit on short Tech every week. So, obviously, back then, that was in relationship with the triple-option offense and all that kind of stuff, uh, and so, mentally, you had to be prepared for Tech because of the triple-option offense. We obviously understand that, but when you listen to Jamon Dumas-Johnson and Malachi Stark, what you're led to believe is, even though Tech doesn't have this sort of, like, weird offense anymore, this sort of, you know, unusual thing that you didn't see any other time during the year, the kind of weekly, monthly, yearly preparations to make sure you understand this is a big game at the end of the season, it sounds like Kirby Smart, who is a master communicator, continues to be very good at instilling that message into his players. Now, let's finish off the sort of theorizing here by asking the question, well, why would this be true? Like, why would Kirby, in the midst of all the rivalry games that Georgia plays, why would he make such a big deal about Georgia Tech? there perhaps is the practical reality of here is that some games sell themselves very easily when you're playing Auburn or Florida or a team like that you sort of know the stakes in that game and so therefore it's very easy to get up for that game maybe hyping up tech behind the scenes is a good way of getting up for a game that might not quite seem to sell itself quite so well that might not quite have the same level of juice just naturally speaking that some of Georgia's other rivals do so therefore Kirby Smart talks it up even more Perhaps there's something to that, but there's also the real and raw human emotion of, as JDJ said, that Kirby Smart tasted defeat in this series as a player, and maybe more important than that, he also tasted defeat as a coach, and when you have that happen to you, all of a sudden that just sort of changes the way that you feel about all of this. I want to go back to another old clip from Dog Nation. This is many years ago, but it's always kind of stuck with me. So it used to be on a weekly basis, we used to do a, a regular interview on our show. with The guy named Mike Johnson. And Mike and I also did a regular show on a daily basis called SEC Country Live. Mike's a great guy. I still consider him a good friend. Uh, always terrific insight because uh, Mike had won a national championship playing for Nick Saban, Alabama. He was an All-American. Uh, I think we'll probably have Mike on the show next week. I'm hoping to anyway. Um, but is a really good guy. And in talking about the rivalry games, one of the things that Mike brought up was is that he felt like as an Alabama player he saw the Iron Bowl rivalry with Auburn become a bigger deal to Nick Saban once Saban lost his first game as a coach at Alabama to Auburn in 2007. And all of a sudden, as Mike Johnson describes, the rivalry for Saban became far more personal because he lost that game this is what Mike Johnson said and the parallel between Saban and Alabama then Kirby at Georgia now ought to be obvious this is what a former Alabama player said about watching the way in which Nick Saban viewed the Iron Bowl changing after he got some experience as a coach in the rivalry this is Mike Johnson
1: that was Nick Saban's first taste of the rivalry really so I don't think he understood it throughout the week he kind of explained it to us like hey, guys, this rivalry means a lot to a lot of people in this state. And it was so funny because when you come back in 2008 and Nick Saban had tasted a little bit of a loss on that side of the rivalry, it was almost like he was more irritated. He was like, hey, this game means a lot to everybody in this locker room now. You know, this, this game, this is a big deal for this football team and for this university and for this athletic department. You know, it was almost like getting a taste of that loss the year before to Tommy Tudorville and company really amped him up to try to go out on a, on a ledge and really develop that team in a way that." To, to kind of put Auburn behind it. I think it's different for Kirby Smart. Obviously, he's been a part of that rivalry, so he understands that and, and maybe a little bit better than most people that are coming from the outside in. And, and I think that you try to play into the player's psyche when you talk about these rivalry games.
0: The parallel here is obvious. Nick Saban lost his first Iron Bowl game to Auburn, and therefore a player that played for Nick Saban said the game then became more personal to him after that well, not only did Kirby Smart lose a game to Tech as a player, but he also lost his first game to Tech as a coach. It's hard to believe now, just given the success that Georgia's enjoyed, but in Kirby's first season at Georgia, they actually lost to Georgia Tech in Athens. Many of you, of course, remember that game. And so because of that, it's easy to theorize, this game has a whole lot more personal relevance for Kirby- because of that fact and as Mike said he likes to get into the psyche of his players by using that as evidence and based on what you heard from Malachi Starks what you heard from Javon Dumas Johnson it's easy to see the evidence that he's getting into their psyche you know very well on that and to sort of wrap up and finish this conversation here for a moment If you are led to believe that perhaps any of this is overstated, perhaps any of this is untrue, the idea that Kirby's not heavily motivated by the fact that he himself, not Ray Goff or Jim Donner or Mark Rick, but he himself lost a game to Georgia Tech as a coach. Let's go back to 2017 here for a moment. That was a year in which Georgia spent most of the season kind of getting revenge against teams that had beaten Georgia in Kirby Smart's first year. We made a very big deal on this show, used a phrase, ended up being kind of coined by a lot of other Georgia fans there as well. But the idea that Georgia was on a revenge tour in 2017, getting retribution against all the teams that had beaten it, including at the end of the season, Georgia Tech. Now, Kirby Smart, in all of his years, here the Georgia coach. It doesn't call out very many people. It does not spike the football very frequently. Uh, He's truly of the mindset that when you lose, say nothing. When you win, say less. That's just kind of the way Kirby Smart operates. Except for November of 2017, after Georgia beat Georgia Tech, the year after having lost to them the year before. If you have any doubt about what this game means to Kirby Smart, let's listen to what he said after Georgia beat Georgia Tech in 2017. This is Kirby.
1: A lot of our seniors talked about, you know, you guys make a big deal about a revenge tour. We try not to make it about that, but we checked the last box on that list today. And it uh, meant a lot to send these seniors out the right way. I mean, I, I still have memories of Nick Chubb sitting in my office to tell me why he's coming back. So I wanted it more for him than for anybody. And uh, to send him out the right way, and really all of them, but it's just Nick specifically said he couldn't sleep at night thinking about it. And, gave him an opportunity
0: to go to sleep now nick chubb could not sleep because georgia lost to georgia tech in 2016 kirby smart says now he can rest well because the mission and the revenge tour was totally completed after that win against georgia tech you think this rivalry game doesn't mean a lot to kirby after you hear that Of course it does. Now, we went long here to begin the show, but long for a specific purpose, wanting to lay out for you exactly how much emotion we believe exists behind the scenes when it comes to Georgia and Georgia Tech. I think the evidence is obvious, both in the short term and over the course of the long term. This rivalry game means a lot to Kirby Smart personally, and a guy who's such an effective communicator has communicated that meaning to his players. And the Georgia players will be more than ready for what's coming on Saturday against Georgia Tech. So the bottom line against, and about all of this entire discussion is, when you think about Saturday night, the rivalry game known as clean, old-fashioned hate, it certainly sounds like Tech is going to be in an awful lot of trouble my name is Brandon Adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Kroger we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video across all platforms at 10 a.m of course even earlier than that 945 first and 15 dog nation.com dog nation app just happy to have you joining us on video we're normally on the radio Athens sports radio 960 wrap the back there on Monday of course podcasts however you find them We're just so, so thrilled that you make this show a part of your routine. Getting ready for game day coming up tomorrow. If you're going to be in Atlanta for that one, uh, please come by and see us and say hello to us. We would certainly, certainly appreciate all of that. And we also appreciate in this time of gratitude want to express a special message of thankfulness to our friends at kroger who make this show possible here today and we also want to remind you that kroger's got all your game day favorites made even easier when it comes to a boost membership uh you can find out more about this at kroger.com slash boost but listen the stuff that you're already buying at kroger anyway you can get twice the fuel points just for buying those great incentive great award. Uh, uh, reward for what you're already doing there at kroger when it comes to twice the fuel points you also get free grocery delivery so this time of year whether it's football season or holidays christmas whatever else you want more time to enjoy the things you enjoy more money to buy the things that you enjoy this time of year when that comes to all the tailgate stuff things like that one of the best ways to do that is with a kroger boost memberships so go to kroger.com you can find out more about that earn twice the fuel points get free grocery delivery all kinds of great incentives just for joining Kroger Boost. I hope that you'll check that out today. We are going to bring on Jeff's Intel here in just a moment. So I'll tell you about that. I also want to give a quick shout out, though, before we kind of move on with the rest of the show. With something that we're very excited about next Saturday. The response to this has been terrific, as it always is. And obviously, we're kind of getting down to sort of the limited space, the final remaining moments, I'll get an update again on this coming up on Monday but we're sort of down to the end when it comes to our dog nation invasion not dog nation invasion this is our go for three and 23 tailgate event taking place next Saturday in Atlanta Home Depot backyard uh, before the SEC championship between Georgia and Alabama this is an all-exclusive event that means food that means beverage the first 100 folks to sign up also get a go for three and 23 t-shirt this is the only print run of go for three and 23 t-shirts i'm expecting that we'll do here so if you want the go for three and 23 t-shirt the only way to get it is to really be a part of the go for three and 23 tailgate there next week so we're obviously very excited about all of that and really want you to be a part of it off uh, you know with us so if you'll go to dognation.com you can find out more information about that there easy to click into, easy to go ahead and secure your spot and make sure you do that while the inventory is still there, especially that go for three and 23 t-shirt. We got some flexibility in terms of adding more people into the tailgate but we don't have a ton of flexibility when it comes to the go for three and 23 t-shirts. So if you want that sort of extra add on value to the great experience, make sure you go to dognationcom and take care of that today. It's the closest tailgate anywhere to Mercedes Benz stadium, kind of the nicest experience that we probably have a chance to share with you. Great food, great beverage, really, uh, sort of a premium level luxury style event leading into the biggest game of the year for georgia here thus far with that sec championship so go to dognation.com get more details on that hope to see you for our go for three and 23 tailgate next saturday back in atlanta home depot backyard for all of that All right, before we bring on Jeff Sintel, let me go around the doghouse today, poured by our friends at the Finish Long Drink. I'm not going to go super long on this because it did go long off the top. And mainly, I want to kind of use this as a setup to bring in Jeff Sintel here in just a moment. Cam McKell, the terrific athlete from Statesboro, who had kind of set this date as his commitment decision, did announce yesterday. And McHale, who had kind of been thought to be down to, like, say, Colorado, Tennessee, and Georgia, it seems like Tennessee had sort of fallen out of the uh, sort of favor in the last few days. In fact, I don't even believe McHale went to the Georgia-Tennessee game last Saturday as he was expected to do so. But yesterday, McHale chose Colorado and not Georgia for his commitment decision. In fact, I'll show you this from our friends at On3 on the screen. McHale in the uh, Colorado Colors there, going out there to be a part of that program with the uh, Buffs. It sounded like Colorado worked very hard to uh, recruit him. By now, you kind of know some of the stories here. And this is where Jeff Sintel's opinion on this, I think, is going to be you know pretty interesting. A, you know, the idea of McHale, who at one point in time had been recruited by Georgia to be a defensive back. It sort of sounds like maybe that plan had kind of been kind of altered from Georgia once they realized how intent Mikkel was on playing the wide receiver position at the college level. It also kind of furthers the discussion of what Georgia has or perhaps this year has not done when it comes to in-state recruiting. I think Mikel's truly a terrific talent. How much of a loss, though, is this for Georgia, the receiver position? compared to the the original position we thought Mikel might play for Georgia at the uh at the defensive back spot there there's kind of a lot to sift through on all of this you know all things being equal I do like in-state guys at in Georgia now the operative phrase in that statement is all things being equal ultimately what we really want if you're a Georgia fan is Georgia to have the best possible players that it can get but if it's a comparison between so-and-so player a and -and so-and-so player b you know the idea of getting that player who's in state i think there's some additional value in that and Georgia's going to probably end up doing you know probably as few of the top rated recruits in state as they probably ever done during the kirby smart era that's not going to matter in terms of the overall quality of this class Uh, because Georgia is still ranked number one obviously but I do believe a lot of this puts a little bit of an emphasis on what Georgia does in state for the class of 2025 where a lot of the best players in the country happen to be from Georgia at positions of need think about offensive and defensive linemen as a for instance there on that going to put more of an emphasis perhaps on the 2025 in state recruiting and I do think this kind of opens the door a little bit to talk about okay well if it's not Mikel Then, exactly what are Georgia's priorities when it comes to receiver? Jeff reported uh, last week that Nitro Tuggle did come to Georgia for the Ole Miss game. Uh, Obviously, you know, there's chatter out there about a possible flip from an NC State commit. There's just other stuff that's out there. So let's kind of find out what all this means. In fact, we'll get ready to bring on Jeff Santel, and we'll wrap up around the doghouse, poured by the finished long drink and remind you that you're getting ready for the final regular season tailgate of the year. Boy, the finished long drink is a great way to kind of wrap all that up or just kind of continue your holiday weekend if that's what you're looking to do there as well. In fact, for a limited time here in the Peach State, you can enjoy some peach-flavored version of the finished long drink. Or if you like one of the traditional options, like the truly traditional in the blue can, the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick, Or Long Drink Zero, that's no carbs, no sugar, coming off Thanksgiving. Perhaps that's the more reasonable choice for some of us, myself included. You certainly understand. Long Drink Strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. Long Drink Cranberry. Whichever option you think is right for you would be best for you. You can find out where to pick some up by going to the website, thelongdrink.com, to find out more about that. Once again, it's thelongdrink.com. Put in your zip code, and you can find out where the finished Long Drink can be purchased near you it's also kind of a cool thing to kind of peruse the site and learn more about the history of the long drink uh starting back in helsinki in the 1950s when the summer games were there in finland and then traveling uh, becoming uh, available in america a couple of years ago and now in georgia and pretty much everywhere you want to go uh you're talking about being able to find the finished long drink so go to thelongdrink.com and find out more on that today all right here's what we have on tap for you obviously big egg bowl uh last night which i would say for the most part did not disappoint in terms of the sort of weirdness you typically expect from the egg bowl we'll talk about that also for those of you kind of with us live there's a full slate of games on tap for today we'll preview some of that here coming up in just a moment and look ahead final thoughts on the big rivalry games there as well so that's how we'll close out our friday show here coming up in a moment a little bit of a broader look at the rest of college football on this final regular season weekend but for now you know what to make of the cam mckel situation and kind of what is next for george when it comes to wide receiver recruiting in particular let's cover all of that ground right now uh with Jeff Sintel here on dog nation daily presented by kroger From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a dognation.com insider. We will say a little to Jeff Centel here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger here today. And uh, Jeff, you know, the Cam McHale news comes out yesterday, choosing Colorado. This has kind of always been a little bit of a weird recruitment for Georgia because, as you and I have talked about before, it seems like the early pursuit of McHale was based around the idea of being a defensive back. Uh, McHale made it very clear he wanted to be a wide receiver. In the final few days, seems like Tennessee sort of fell out of the out of favor here a little bit. Sort of appeared to be kind of a Georgia Colorado battle there at the end. Colorado obviously wins it. What is the reading of the green, so to speak, on Mikkel choosing Colorado and uh, not Georgia there on Thanksgiving?
2: Hey Brandon, good morning, man. Happy Thanksgiving, all. Hope everybody's coming out of their food comas today. Um, man, my reading of the green on that was pretty treacherous for Georgia from the jump. Um, it's kind of like one of those things. I, 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 use, a, I use high school metaphors a lot to help I'm, people understand high school decisions from high school young men. And this is one of those where this, maybe the prettiest girl in school didn't, doesn't like you for like six months and then she comes around six months later and she likes you. And, and you're you're a little wary of that if you're a, a young fella with your head on a swivel and understands understanding what's going on. I think really, I don't even know Brandon if Georgia was really in it at all. Um, at least to the point where it was something serious because Georgia looked at Cam McHale for the longest time and they said, you're a great athlete, great track speed, great size, but we love you at DB. We love you in our secondary. We think you're a future first-round pick in the secondary. Well, Cam McHale never wanted to do that. You see what he does at Statesboro. He plays all over, plays quarterback, plays some receiver. I think another key thing for Colorado is his cousin is actually joining that program as well. And there's another year with Shadur Sanders there most likely as well. So I think you can look and see what Colorado did with Travis Hunter. And that felt pretty good to him. I mean, really, I think that last visit he took to Georgia, you know, you can kind of read it on his face. He was kind of indifferent, didn't seem really plugged in the way other recruits are. And I kind of always thought, really, Georgia was having to come back in a recruitment. And they were having to come back in a recruitment where he didn't even really honestly believe that they valued the, you the most doing what you want to do. So that, that's where this thing got really complex. As much as I love seeing a young man from Statesboro playing for the University of Georgia, because I think it just feels right that way to have a young man from Bullitt County on the Georgia football roster, this one just, just never really got off got off to the right foot and really gathered any momentum. Right? And the official visit was way back in May, and then he finally makes his decision – In November, I mean, this is one of those where you look at wide receiver recruiting. I don't know if Cam McHale ever really thought Georgia saw him as a wide receiver long term.
0: Yeah, so I think I think you may be right about that. However, the one thing I will say, even though this one kind of always was complicated by his desire to play one position, and Georgia's evaluation of him at a different position, I do think, as I've told you before, I think this definitely highlights the need for Georgia to kind of clean up a little bit more in state next year. Now I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with Georgia's current class. Obviously it's ranked number 1 and Georgia's overall talent acquisition, you know, process continues to be the envy of the rest of college football. We obviously understand that. But it just so happens the next year, you know, some of the most talented players in the country just so happen to be positions of need for UGA, just so happen to be in state type guys. So when you look on offensive defensive line in particular, you know next year i do believe is one of those years in which it's probably not okay to be as absent from like the commitment list of like say the top 10 top 15 top 20 players in the state as it's going to end up being for georgia here this year you can sort of get away with that this year uh clearly there's no issues with the class but you need to probably own your state a little bit better for the class of 2025 do you think i'm fair to say that
2: I think it's fair. Uh, You know, you're you're right to kind of dance around. It's great to own your state. It's great to have homegrown dogs. But I'm going to look at an example here with, like, Sammy Brown. I I think Sammy Brown's a great young man, a great football player. He might start two and a half seasons for Clemson at the minimum. But Georgia didn't win that one. But because they didn't win that one, it made things a lot easier with um, Justin Williams, number one linebacker in the country, a young man who had a Georgia debit card. Um, going back to when he was in the seventh grade, his father's favorite teams were Michigan and Georgia, and Georgia offered him late, but they came in quick because the the linebacker room for this class looked pretty thin. And then you also were able to get Chris Cole up in Virginia, two incredible linebackers, right? And so it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, it would certainly be nice to have, to clean up in your home state, but when you're getting comparable talent or higher-rated talent, you just kind of kind of shake your head a little bit about that. I do agree with you that I think the line of scrimmage is going to be so important in the next class with guys like Juan Gaston uh, in the state of Georgia, Justice Terry, Elijah Griffith on both sides of the ball. I think, Brandon, where my mind goes now with wide receiver is Georgia has a pretty clear example with bringing the right guys in from the transfer portal and Rob Thomas and Dominic Lovett. So I think that's kind of what they're going to look at in terms of wide receiver recruiting there, more so than maybe Terrell Anderson up in North Carolina Um, or even what they were trying to do with Cam McHale, I think it just seems more feasible to get that young man that's two or three years outside of high school football. And maybe that NIL price tag's a lot lower than it is for a young man coming out of high school.
0: Let me do two quick things before I let you go, because obviously you're busy right now trying to get back to uh, the state here. But thing number one is this. Give me a snapshot of Georgia wide receiver recruiting with Mikael making the decision that he made, and as we said before, who knows how much Mikael would have really even fit into Georgia's plans from a wide receiver standpoint. So, how about the position group overall then? We talked Nitro Tuggle last week, the fact that he did come to Georgia for the Ole Miss game. You know, obviously, the Niacar ship has sort of sailed here a little bit. Are you looking up to a Raleigh, North Carolina, and flipping a receiver away from NC State here? Like, what is the landscape for Georgian wide receiver recruiting in the aftermath of Mikael choosing Colorado on Thanksgiving?
2: I think first of all, you got to think about um, player retention, Brandon. Maybe that's the first thing to think about in terms of Vlad McCaukey likely to the NFL, Marcus Rose. I mean, Jack State likely to the NFL. Does that mean you hold on to uh, a Jackson Meeks who spent a couple years in Athens? Does that mean you hold on to Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas? I think that's the case with Dominic and Ra Ra. Now you got to look at the high school board, and I think you know while nothing's perfect, I feel good about how Georgia kind of calm the waters down a little bit with Nitro Tungle. That said, Nitro Tuggle is probably not a guy that's going to play his first year. I actually think that Kobe White is a guy that will play his first year at Georgia because he does a lot of the things that Mad McConkey does. He's physical in the run game. He's going to be one of the strongest receivers pound for, pound for pound on the Georgia roster. So that's a lot of good stuff there. I think the next place to go for wide receiver – is not flipping in North Carolina State recruit where maybe there might need to be some NIL involved there. I think the more likely scenario there is trying to find another Dominic Lovett or another Ra Ra Thomas out of the portal, a guy that's got some meat on his bones and that's got a little bit of legs in major college football that can come come in right away and play for a nationally contending program like yours.
0: All right, last thing for you. Obviously, tonight's a very fun night across the state of Georgia. Quarterfinal action the state playoffs. A lot of Georgia recruits involved in big games. I'm lucky enough to call the Walton and Carrollton game. Daniel Calhoun's going to play a huge role for Walton there in that spot. And obviously – uh, there are plenty of big names on the Carrollton side, of course, too. I believe you plan on attending the Grayson Buford game. I'm fascinated by that. This is a really big spot for Dylan Riola against the Grayson team that's obviously, you know, nationally renowned and probably playing its best football of the season at the right time here right now. What do we learn about Riola tonight in a game like the one he's gonna play against Grayson and some of these other Georgia recruits, Georgia targets, Georgia commits who are really on big stages in the state quarterfinals here? That ought to be a lot of fun. Yeah,
2: I think it's a similar challenge to what Ryola and Grayson faced earlier in the year with Mill Creek. Maybe it won't be a, you know, basically a tropical monsoon in terms of rain out there. In terms of the field and playing conditions, I think Tyler Atkinson for Grayson can play a lot of big time ball. I think this is a situation if you give, if you catch the ball for Ryola and you give him just a little bit of time. I think it's going to be a tough game, but I think it's one that I think it's one that Buford should win, considering talents like. You know, you got K J Bold in there, you got Jordan Allen there, you got you know, a lot of a lot of future Division One players on both sides of the ball. You got Jaden Perlotti there. I think I think that game is going to be intriguing. And I know Brandon, you're such a professional, kinda like um Kirk, Kirk Street doesn't call games, doesn't predict on the on college game day, doesn't make a prediction for the game he's calling. But I wanna ask you this. Which one of those two games do you think will is, will be closer tonight? And how tough of
0: a decision is that for you to even make? Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly think our game between Carrollton and uh, Walton has a chance to be razor thin. And by the way, this thing could be 50 to 48 there as well. So I said this to some of our video audience before our show started today. Jeff, I've been lucky to call high school football games for a long time. I really don't know how many games I've ever called that I'm more excited about than I am for this one. Obviously, a rematch of last year's quarterfinals. Julian Lewis is a national-level recruit. A lot of our audience knows him well, even if he's not really in Georgia's orbit here at the moment. And uh, Walton's the same kind of program there, too, uh, with Jeremy Aklensky on his way to Wake Forest. And obviously, we mentioned Calhoun. I just think think this is an incredibly fun game. There's a lot of really good games in Georgia here this week, but I am very, very thankful to be getting a chance to call the game I'm going to get a chance to call tonight.
2: You might you might have a fifty-two to forty-eight, and I might watch a thirty-one to thirty. Yeah, like you're that, right, Brandon. You that might is need to the get case. your uh, you might need to get your throat lozenges ready for your big touchdown exclamation expressive calls because there's going to be so many with Juju and Jeremy at quarterback. And really, Brandon, this was this is what this level is. If you don't have a guy that can really get you out of trouble and turn a lot of a lot of third and twelves, third and thirteens, um, when the defense dials up a blitz you don't have a guy that can, can get you out of those third long with his arm and with his leg, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. I think Royale is a guy that can do that. You look, at, you look across the 7A bracket, and this is where it gets really dicey and interesting because there's a lot of great football teams tonight that are going to go home and say goodbye to their seniors because that's how stacked up that 7a
0: bracket is yeah jeff that's exactly right we're gonna let you go uh obviously you got a lot of stuff going on there so we will let you get back to us i'll see you in atlanta on saturday and we'll wrap up the regular season in style with clean old-fashioned hey we'll look forward to talking to you then
2: awesome brandon hey man uh, good luck have a great call tonight we'll see you later
0: thank you jeff Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So a couple things here really quick. As we mentioned before, I am very excited to be calling the uh, Walton and Carrollton game. And I want to make a point about the Georgia commit Daniel Calhoun in this game in a moment. But let me also remind you that we're on the Petrie Sports Network now. That means that, you know, if you've got cable, if you've got charter, if you've got Xfinity, you're going to be able to watch this game on like regular television if you're a Dish or a Direct TV we are not on those providers as of yet but stay close to social media our buddy rusty manzel will tweet this out i'll tweet this out we'll give you an easy link to click into and watch the stream super easy with our friends at atlanta news first so that's kind of the deal there that if you've got regular cable like xfinity or charter then you watch this game on your regular cable provider if you've got direct tv or dish one of the satellite providers We're not on there yet on our brand new network, the uh, Petrie Sports Network, but this game is easy to watch when it comes to the stream. You're watching the NFL on Amazon today. This is no different than that. In fact, it's probably even easier to get to with our friends at Atlanta News First. So we'll do that for you tonight. When it comes to Carrollton Walton, there's a big national website called MaxPreps.com that you know ranks everything as it relates to national high school football. They've got us rated as the number two game in the country tonight, so I'm really proud of that. And so we'll see you there for that. I'll also make a quick point about Daniel Calhoun getting a chance to talk to Daniel Bruner, the uh, the Walton coach. One of the things that he talks about is really the leadership that Calhoun has shown that team. He's played on kind of both sides of the ball. He's obviously an offensive line recruit for Georgia. He's played on both sides of the ball, and as I was listening to Bruner talk about Calhoun this week and kind of the vocal leadership that he's brought, really getting his team ready for such a big game against a team in Carrollton last year that played for the state championship and eliminated Walton and, and knocked him out of the playoffs, as I was listening to him talk, I, I just kept thinking in my mind, boy, Georgia fans would love to hear this right now. Georgia fans would love to hear what Daniel Bruner, working with Daniel Calhoun, is saying about him right now obviously he's a gigantic recruit. he blocks out the sun such a big guy but the vocal leadership he's bringing right now makes him kind of an uncommonly good prospect I believe so obviously we think that Daniel Calhoun has a very very bright future at Georgia and you can see him tonight on the Peachtree Sports Network and of course we're in the midst of a very busy work time right now but at some point in time we'll be off the clock at some point in time we'll be looking to get away and enjoy some time off and when we do that's when we start thinking about cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and cruising around the caribbean as well with our friends at royal caribbean i've got a big one coming up in january once all the hay in the is in the barn for this season when our high school is done when our go for three and 23 mission is complete at that point in time i'm, I'm going to be ready to kick back and relax and work on my wintertime tan and of course i get a chance to do that on board icon of the seas in january I, I can't wait largest cruise ship ever constructed And it's just one of those things, when the big new thing comes along like this, obviously I'm going to want to be a part of it. Icon of the Seas gives me a chance to do that. And I want you to have the same opportunity that I do. Our friend Jessica Slater can help you with all that. Special travel agent selected for us by Royal Caribbean. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, Slater at dreamvacations.com. You can talk to her about Icon of the Seas, but when you do, tell her, uh, first of all, tell the BA said hello, first of all, but then tell her that BA also said that Royal Cribbins has got a bunch of new stuff coming up for the new year. Icon of the Seas debuting in January. Uh, Utopia of the Seas debuting out of Port Canaveral in July. Hideaway Beach, kind of a new add-on debut coming to Perfect Day Coco Cay. All of that on tap for the upcoming year. going to be an incredible experience. Jessica can tell you about all of it, so you can find her Uh, online there email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com or call her 770-718-9147 all right let's give you a lot on the weekend and this is one of those holiday weekends in which the actual football weekend's kind of already started so let's roll through uh, a little bit here on this egg bowl last night i would say did not disappoint you had greg knox the interim coach for mississippi state driving onto the field in atv you had former old miss quarterback bo wallace threatening to fight a coffee shop on you know over twitter you know basically telling there's there's coffee shop that was like trolling him on twitter he kept giving them his seat and aisle locations so they could come find him and fight as if bo wallace was going to fight a coffee shop basically so that's a very egg bowl thing to have happen there so the ultimate you know game itself didn't disappoint also depending on where you took the underdog, if you took them, that didn't disappoint either. We got Mississippi State at ten and a half, so we got home there on that. If they had made the field goal late in the game, anybody who was back in the Bulldogs could have gotten home on that. But ultimately, Mississippi State gets the cover, depending on where you sort of got this. If you got in late yesterday, it was down to nine and a half, so you obviously are lamenting and thinking about what, what could have been but uh, a lot of backers pretty happy today as the underdog gets the cover in the rivalry game with the interim coach as we suggested that they would however the winner of this game Ole Miss and I do think you have to give Lane Kiffin some credit here and admittedly I'm not always the biggest Kiffin guy I'll I'll certainly acknowledge that but this was a very nuts and bolts style season for Ole Miss you know kind of coming after a year in which there was far too much distraction Kiffin in the headlines for chasing jobs, then fighting with reporters about whether or not he was really chasing the Auburn job, whatever else. It seems like this Rebels team completely went into the tank a year ago once the job rumors happened. And this year, you had no seeming distractions there like that. And at a time in which the future for a lot of SEC coaches is very uncertain. And in some cases, like Jimbo Fisher, just completely fired and, and, and moved on from. The fact that Lane Kiffin didn't come and, and succumb to any of this I think he deserves some credit for 10 and 2 is not a bad season for almost any team, and it's certainly not a bad year for Ole Miss. You've got to give Lane Kiffin some credit for that. So in the midst of the craziness of the egg bowl, it is a pretty validating win for Lane Kiffin. I have to say that. I'll also briefly give you a heads up here about a very, very crowded slate of Black Friday games. This is not the entire schedule, but it's probably ones worth your attention. Oklahoma TCU, that's in that noon spot. You've got uh, UTSA, that's Texas San Antonio, against Tulane. Let me tell you why this is interesting. Tulane is battling right now. Remember, every year, the highest-rated group of five team, if they're not in the top four, they do get that New Year's Six Bowl berth. And right now, Tulane is the highest-rated of the uh, group of five teams in the CFP Top 25. Liberty is the other uh, group of five team in the the, uh, rankings here right now. So Tulane, against a pretty good UTSA team today, is trying to preserve its spot in a New Year Six Bowl. Now, the interesting thing here is, if Tulane does win out and they win the AAC, then they will likely make the New Year Six Bowl over Ole Miss, a team that's ten and two and beat Tulane this year. But it looks like it'll be Tulane going to the uh, New Year Six, and as it stands right now, very good chance that uh, that that Ole Miss could be left out of that. Now, speaking of the New Year Six, uh, Missouri against arkansas today missouri is a higher ranked team currently than ole miss if it wins obviously that will remain true and once again those are high stakes for eli drinkwitz today the chance in this sort of traditional black friday rivalry game is the battle line rivalry is that what this rivalry is called the battle line i believe it is Uh, in this particular renewal of this series a chance to preserve a a new year six bowl berth for missouri that is no small thing for that program. That's what's going on there. You've also got Penn State, Michigan State. Honestly, I don't care much about that. I am interested, though, in the other two games. Texas hosting Texas Tech. This is a Texas team that obviously is trying to keep pace in the college football playoff discussion. It seems like there's some skepticism out there about Texas right now, but I honestly don't get that. I think that Texas actually had a good year. They have avoided the upset after getting the signature win against Alabama. And I still think a bet on Texas to make the playoff is probably a pretty good bet, given the fact that the teams they're battling with, Alabama, is going to lose to Georgia. And uh, Florida State has a very good chance of uh, losing at some point in time over the course of the next couple of weeks there as well. It's not a guarantee. Nothing is. But I, I think some of the skepticism that seems to exist about Texas right now, including the idea that if Alabama were to win the SEC, they would deserve to leapfrog over Texas, a team that it lost to in the regular season. I don't get that at all. I really don't. I think Texas has played at times without Quinn Ewers this year. Uh, This is a much better team defensively, especially up front. Uh, I don't find myself in anywhere near the, the sort of negativity or skepticism that exists around number seven Texas right now. In fact, I expect them to finish the regular season on a strong note against the Red Raiders today. Do think it could be a little closer than experts think, though, when it comes to Oregon State against Oregon in the Civil War? That's tonight, folks. That's big game tonight. Ranked Oregon State against playoff uh, hopeful Oregon ahead of the Pac-12 title game next week. I could see this game being a little closer than the experts think, for the simple fact that while Oregon statistically has been dominant, and Oregon is one of my picks to make the college football playoff uh, at least right now, that wasn't the beginning of the year pick. That's sort of a second chance pick for me. Uh, while I do have Oregon currently in the playoff. I also will gladly acknowledge that Oregon's played a pretty soft schedule thus far this year. Beavers, by far and away, the best team that Oregon has played here thus far, with the exception, of course, of the game at Washington a little earlier this year. So from that standpoint, Oregon State, who played Washington last week, who's played kind of a slew of, you know, know, just sort of much tougher tests overall. You know, from that standpoint, I do believe that uh, Oregon State could perhaps in a rivalry game at least keep it a little closer than experts think there would expect Oregon to win would expect Oregon State to challenge that of course sets up Oregon for uh next Friday night in the Pac-12 title game there as well now speaking of that you've got another Pac-12 game the Apple Cup on Saturday Washington against Washington State I'll also take the underdog here to keep it closer than the experts thing Washington, to its credit, keeps winning, but these games are pretty close. And so if you're the betting-minded type person, uh, Washington State plus the points, trying to get bowl eligible in an in-state rivalry game, uh, that could be a pretty big motivation there. I'll also take the underdog Florida, hosting Florida State. I don't love my pick here on this. Obviously, it's Jordan Travis absence that looms large here. Ultimately, my thought here on this kind of comes down to Florida, to its credit, did not quit last week at Missouri. They had every reason to sort of perhaps pack it up and kind of give it up and they didn't they fought to the end they choked away a chance to win still played pretty hard though for the most part so if they played hard there obviously they play hard at home against their in-state rival not good enough to win the game but but good enough to keep it close the six and a half point spread would certainly suggest that's somewhat true uh in the case of Florida State you know, this is a team that I'm a little skeptical of, even with Jordan Travis. I think they're more like back part of the top 10 as opposed to in the top four in terms of, in terms of their overall quality as a uh, team. Without Jordan Travis, they could prove themselves to be, you know, pretty uh, suspicious and, and, and pretty vulnerable, perhaps. So I'm going to take a flyer on Florida here, even though I don't really love the pick. And then finally, I'll give you a couple of thoughts on the other big games that matter, starting in the SEC with the Iron Bowl. This is one of those where my contrarian nature sometimes costs me, and maybe I'm going to get costed here on this there as well. But um, I think Auburn's the right side here. As an underdog, plus the points, not to win the game, but it's hard not to notice. Auburn has covered three straight games in Jordan-Hare Stadium against Alabama, Nick Saban's only two and six and eight trips to Jordan-Hare Stadium as the Alabama coach, uh, when you talk about being against the spread, of course. That somehow, someway, over a period of different coaches, including Brian Harson, even in 2021, Auburn just finds a way to be competitive with Alabama when the game is in Jordan-Hare Stadium. And I don't love this necessarily, but I think the numbers speak for themselves here that Auburn, the week after, really get embarrassed by New Mexico State, is perhaps the right side here plus the points. Listen, you should need to consult your own your own numbers on this before you make any kind of play on that, but for me, I'm happy back in Auburn here as an underdog plus the points against Alabama there on Saturday. Also, finally, an example of a preseason flip for me. Michigan was a playoff team when I originally gave mine out back during the summer, but as we get to the final game of the regular season, the game that kind of proves playoff status one way or another, I'm going to flip my pick here. I'm going to disavow Michigan. I'm actually going to back Ohio State in this spot as a three and a half point uh, underdog at Michigan on Saturday. A couple of things. First of all, when you look at the sign stealing stuff that has kind of hung as a dark cloud over Michigan as of late, I think when you start really digging deep into the statistics, the one conclusion you're forced to draw is, is that Michigan was aided by this. And Michigan certainly believed it was aided by this. Otherwise, they wouldn't have worked so hard to make this such a – complicated apparatus they clearly thought this was an extra advantage for them and from a statistical standpoint there seemed to be some evidence that was true perhaps especially when it comes to J.J. McCarthy who's also dealing with a little bit of an injury right now so perhaps that explains some of his subpar play as of late but if that's true another reason to perhaps like Ohio State here in this spot now ultimately here's the other big takeaway about this game Last couple of years, we've watched Ohio State get pushed around against Michigan, and we've said, oh, you guys are soft. You need to get tougher if you want to compete in a game like this. Well, Ohio State, to its credit, that's kind of what it's done, right? They go out and hire Jim Knowles. Not a huge difference defensively a year ago. But now, Ohio State's one of the five best defenses in America, probably, and certainly the best defense in the Big Ten overall and the better defense like that in a place like ann arbor on saturday i believe that probably matters now the buckeyes are nowhere near as good offensively as they've been kyle mccord just not a very good follow-up to what uh, obviously cj stroud brought this program and justin fields prior to that and on and on you want to go Uh, mccord not in the same category of quarterback but the buckeyes are also playing a little better offensively right now too i'm a little bit surprised to be where i am but based on the evidence in front of my eyes you have to acknowledge what you're saying ohio state seems to be getting better Michigan seems to have a lot of weirdness around it and that may be enough to at least keep this one closer than the experts think it's going to be. I'll take Buckeyes plus the points and the game coming up big noon Saturday there on Fox and those are all the uh, thoughts on the big games for the upcoming weekend and we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And of course, once again, thank you so much for being with us on this kind of post-Thanksgiving Black Friday edition of our show. Obviously, big day coming up in Athens, excuse me, in Atlanta tomorrow. Don't go to Athens. You won't won't see us. We'll be in Atlanta tomorrow, but it'll feel like Athens because there will be so many Georgia fans who are there. Let's also give you a fun collection of golden shoes here for today. We'll roll through our first one here right now. Uh, Bubba shares this. So how about, uh, he says, I see you on the CBS broadcast just before kickoff. This is last week against Tennessee and just to, uh, and he also was saying about the uh, national championship trophy that we showed earlier this week so he f- he freeze frames this at the beginning of the, uh, of the broadcast right before the game when the players run out and they take the kneel down you see my fat face right there on the left side of the screen there on cbs on saturday that's pretty funny Bubba. i appreciate you sharing that uh that is uh really good sneaking a little look there on the uh, t- uh the broadcast by the way how great is my hair look? hopefully that's the color on his tv set and not my actual hair but nonetheless bubba we'll give you a golden shoe for that uh we had several people reach out to us about this about the bolitnikoff award that's obviously the award for the top wide receiver in america which brock bowers is a candidate for but they're doing some public voting right now and bowers is pretty good bit behind in all of this so people wanted me to like hammer this home because if you've got between uh i tomorrow to finish these votes. So what the Blitnikoff Award tells us is that fans can vote for Brock on fan vote. Blitnikoffaward.com slash fan dash vote. The top three vote getters will each earn one official committee vote to determine the Blitnikoff Award finalist. So this actually could help Brock win the award. There's some work to be done to make up for this right now. So uh, we had several people pushing this on me so i want to push this on you bolitnikoff award fan voting right now let's see if we can get brock bowers home there on that it would certainly be a very deserving honor for a tight end in kind of a rare fashion up for the bolitnikoff award which is really a pretty cool thing couple of other golden shoes here clint haynes weighing in to say happy thanksgiving ba to you and your family we all appreciate all you do for dog nation we are definitely going for three in 23 clint i appreciate that love to see you chomping on that's a tech tee right is that is that an orange for tennessee or is that a gold for tech let's call that a gold tee for tech for today that the uh, dog is chomping down on there in that picture and clint uh thanks for the kind message related to thanksgiving and i am certainly very grateful for listeners and viewers like you who participate in our golden shoe and also tune in to watch us every single day and obviously we're all thankful for the chance to go for three and 23 that is a lot of fun and then i believe we have one more for today our good friend miriam corbin was with us on the dog nation invasion riverboat last week sharing a nice photo of mike and connor and me and uh jeff Centel along with kaylee there too uh miriam writing in thank you to ba and all the staff at uh, dog nation daily for the wonderful riverboat cruise last saturday excellent fun great company stunningly great win by our dogs lots of hard work went into this day uh, best one so far well done Miriam we certainly appreciate that and obviously it's a reminder of the fun we're able to have here around dog nation and the fun we're all going to have next Saturday of course in Atlanta for our gopher three and 23 tailgate prior to the SEC championship of course some rivalry business to take care of prior to that with clean old-fashioned hate there on Saturday we will see you there for that and speaking of rivalries Obviously, dog has been on top of the Gator-Hater rivalry for quite a long time here. How about our Gator-Hater update are now 1,112 days since Florida's beaten Georgia. Boy, what a great thought that is, and what a great thing to be thankful for uh, that is there as well. We'll see you in Atlanta tomorrow, back here Monday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. We'll look forward to talking to you then.